Welcome to the VoxGig podcast. We talk to people in the developer community about developer relations, public speaking, and community events. For more details, visit voxgig.com slash podcast. All right, let's get started. If you haven't heard of crowd.dev, trust me, you soon will. Today, I'm speaking to one of the co-founders, Jonathan Reimer, about the crowd.dev story. It's all about how cultivating an open source community around your product can lead to developer-led growth. But with a very important caveat that you cannot sell directly to developers. So how does Jonathan do it? What is the secret? Well, it's something called account-based marketing. And you'll have to forgive me, but this was my first time even hearing the term. But apparently, it's a super big thing in the world of marketing. So if you want to know all about it, let's talk to Jonathan. Jonathan, welcome. Welcome to the Boxgate podcast to talk about developer relations and crowd.dev, which is your startup, your awesome startup, which uh, I think you guys are doing an amazing job. Um, but let's start with crowd.dev. What does it do? Awesome. First of all, thanks a lot for having me and for this warm introduction, Richard. Super happy to be here. Um, and yeah, maybe to give a short introduction to what Crowdoff is doing for those who don't know. Um, Crowdoff is building an open source developer data platform that helps customers like the Linux Foundation to tie community product and customer data together to provide a true 360 view of how developers are engaging with the tools, the developer community, or their brand in general. And yeah, DevRels are usually one of our power users. So super, super happy to be here today. It seems like a business that um, should not work, right? Because everybody, I'm an open source maintainer and everybody in the open source community for a long time has been talking about this question of how do you make money from open source, right? And, oh, there's Red Hat, right? But not everybody can be Red Hat, right? Red Hat is kind of unique. Um, but you seem to have discovered a way to unlock some value in open source. Yeah, and the thing that, that goes into two directions, right? I mean, on the one hand, most of our customers are open source companies. And in fact, there are, I think, about 5,000 open source startups out there. Wow. Um, so it, it, it feels like more and more companies kind of figuring out how, how to do that. And on the other hand, that's kind of our perspective because we are open source by ourselves. So we kind of know exactly, um, the challenges that our, our customers have with their, with their open source business model. And yeah, I think what's kind of the, um, the best practice at the moment for commercializing open source is definitely an open core model where um, a part of your um, code base is open source and everyone can use it, um, can self-host it, and can spin it around. And then you kind of provide certain features on top of that that companies have to get licensed for even though they want to have self-host that. And then it gets a really interesting business because you sell real license with a hundred percent gross margin, you don't have any cost for operating the yes. software yes. whatsoever. So then it gets a super attractive business model, actually. Yeah, and then this and the and the open core model. When did that? When did that really start taking off? Did you is is that part of why you 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 started this company? Did you see it start to happen? I think it kind of happened in the last ten years. I would say. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you historically look at, at open source, I, I think until like, um, yeah, 2010, 2012, the 
the main way to commercialize open source was basically to offer services um, on top of that or offering companies to, hey, we operate the software for you. Um, you don't have to worry about something. But kind of this model of dual licensing and open core, um, that really emerged in the in the last 10 years. And I think also um, something new is that you also see more and more open source companies and open source projects that are not necessarily developer products. So historically, again, mm. you have like databases, infrastructure, developer tools being open source. But especially in the last five years, there are like open source alternatives to to pretty much everything. You know, like Cal.com is a good example as a calendly open source alternative. Um, or I don't know, let's take um Zapier alternatives. There's like a bunch of them out there. So you kind of see that also businesses that are uh, not targeted at developers kind of discover open source for themselves. And I think that's also one of the insights why we uh, decided to to start CrowdDev. That is why. So why is that happening? Because I I can see the um, I can see the logic in Mongo, let's say, being open source, and then you build a business on that, and they host the database for you. But a calendly yeah. open source, what's the angle? Why does why does doing it as open source help? I mean, there's I think it's it's hard to to um, find like one like one size fits all uh, one size fits all answer here. Yeah. Um, I think, for example, in the example of in the calendly open source alternative, it really comes down to. Um, one part of the product being kind of more infrastructures. So I think they, for example, claim to have or build scheduling infrastructure. So developers can actually use the um, product to build scheduling function within that product by themselves. So that's kind of a developer-focused product. But on the other hand, it's kind of a B2B, almost B2C product, offering people the same functions as um, currently just with a, with a hosted version. Um, but I think gotcha. there's other reasons. Gotcha. There's other reasons for that. I mean, look at Signal, for example. Signal is open source. Um, it's a consumer product. A developer doesn't benefit from it being open source. And there's be like a trust factor um, that people can say, oh, okay, the source open, uh, the, the code is open source. I can look at it. Um, I can trust Signal more than I do, uh, trust Telegram or WhatsApp as an example. Okay. Yeah. I gotcha. Yeah. That makes sense. And then, okay, so when I, if I go to your website, right, the first thing it says, it's, it's really direct, which is great, right? Uncover revenue opportunities in your open source data. So I'm still a little unclear. Walk me through how that, I, let's say I am one of these uh, open source alternative companies, and I've come to come to you, Jonathan, and Crowd.dev. What happens? Walk me through the process of what you do for the company. Yeah, sure. Um, so what we do in the first step is basically connect with all the different data sources that you have. For example, community channels like um, GitHub, um, Discord, Slack, Twitter, Reddit, Hacker News, and so on to kind of get community activity and community engagement data from there. Um, you can also send, for example, open source telemetry data to us. So we kind of get insights into that. And we also are working on, for example, including data from people visiting your developer docs or your website. So there's a bunch of different data coming in. Um, we clean that data. 
we match identities across all those different data sources. So we know, okay, that person is on GitHub is actually the same user um, on Discord. And that's um, probably the, the um, open source deployment that, that came from his company. And um, so you, you can't get an overview, okay, what kind of people are in my community? And even more important, what kind of companies uh, do they work for? Uh, uh, and yeah. that gets interesting because you can, for example, compare that data to your CRM data and say, hey, which accounts are ac actually super active uh, in my open source community? They probably self-host the product and use it, but we don't know about them. And then those accounts, this data can be synced to your, to your CRM and to your go-to-market team. Um, and the whole idea behind that is that a lot of open source companies don't know which companies are using that product. I mean, that's kind of in the in the nature of open source, right? Um, yeah. So what we really try to do is um, bring light to that and help them um, to understand um, kind of who are their, the 90% of companies that use that product, but never like signed up for um, the cloud product or a newsletter or something like that. Okay, I, I kind of get it now. So it sounds like you you sort of automated or uh, turned into a service something that uh, me and my colleagues in my previous company used to do kind of manually. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I used to run a, a consultancy called nearform.com and they uh, we were based around we 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 kind of focused on Node.js when it was taking off, and we did a whole bunch of open source, and we sponsored a whole bunch of open source, and we ran conferences and that sort of thing and we used that to recruit and to sell but it was all very manual uh we, we didn't know what we were doing right we, this just happened organically but we were we would we would write open source and then there would be a little bit of a community and then in talking to people who were using it we would end up doing a consulting gig or mm -hmm. it would be because people came to our conference so this is scaling up that model i guess Product yeah, data. definitely, definitely, and I mean, I also worked in in DevRel and 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 uh, in open source companies before, and I did many of those things manually. You no, know? I just went through everyone who started our repository and looked at their GitHub profile, tried to figure out what companies do they work for, copy pasted that information um, into a spreadsheet. <laughs> you know, yeah, um, yeah. So, so yeah, basically, I also I, I've been there and I know how how painful it is. <laughs> And you're right about, and you're right about the fact that this is moving in away from just the software world into vertical SaaS and things like that. Uh, one of our clients works in the pharma space, and uh, you know they've 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 now closed another round, and they're they're hiring. Um, and I was so proud the other day they shared a screen with me and they showed me the spreadsheet. And I and I, I should probably introduce it to you. They showed me the spreadsheet of of all the open source contributors in this particular domain that they're interested in, they'd actually, they're not, they're not software engineers. They are engineers, but they weren't software engineers. Uh, they'd actually taken it aboard and did their research on GitHub. And that was the people that they were talking to for their early hires. Uh, mm -hmm. I was thinking, yes, that is the way you do it, right? Yeah. yeah recruiters, yeah. you know, this is, if you engage with the community that way and find the, the, the people are really excited about your domain. Um, that's much more effective. 
Yeah, I think there's also tools that solve uh, exactly that kind of problem. Yeah. Yeah. You know, kind of like um, sourcing developers from GitHub by identifying their contributions. Uh, that's obviously not in our kind of core domain because I mean we have companies to understand what's going on in their own community. But what yes, we yes. can do, for example, is for the people that interact with your community, your brand, your product, we can also tell you all the open source contributions they ever did in the past. And gotcha. also kind of give you, you know, insights into what kind of domain expertise do they have. And so that the other type of company that we come across is one where they're not open core, right? So they have a They've built a proprietary SaaS system, but uh, they do follow developer-led growth because the product itself might be something that developers use, like uh, authentication or something like that, right? Where there's an API and there's a whole bunch of SDKs, but the SDKs and the sample apps themselves are all open source. Mm. So do you work with companies like that as well? Um, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, our ideal customer profile at the moment um, are definitely companies that have some sort of open source project because that's usually where you can get a lot of interesting data points. Um, but it doesn't have to be the, the core product. It can also be, as you kind of described it, it can be a sample app, an SDK, or gotcha. something like that. Gotcha. Pretty much any company going after like being really developer-driven um, um, can be our customer. Gotcha. Okay. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's a great time to be involved in this stuff. Um, even though, I mean, this year we've, we've seen quite a few developer advocates, uh, job losses and stuff like that. I still feel the fundamentals are correct. Would you share that opinion? Um, the fundamentals of, of developer relations. The fu yeah. The fundamentals of, of, uh, the developer led growth strategy right so yes. reaching out to developers and that's your route to market yes i think that's that's more true than ever um yeah. also i would correct i wouldn't reach out to developers um i think from my experience that's also something that that usually can more can do more harm than good reaching out to developers directly but definitely building a content strategy um organizing events focusing your product on um on developers and by that getting into enterprises i think that's more valid um than ever uh, i think just yesterday um stack overflow published its um latest developer survey and it said that 66 percent of all developers have at least some influence over what kind of technologies their companies buy yeah. um so that's a huge number uh, I don't think that you find this in any other, you know, any other department. No, no. And there's a, I think there's a whole art and a, and a, and a mechanism, a way to uh, use that to, to sail into companies. Um, and I know that's a topic we want to return to in a minute. <laughs> but first, but first, uh, how did you end up starting this company? How did you end up in this place? Uh, in, in what is effectively the sort of greater developer relations space running running crowd.dev. Yeah, I would say it was definitely by accident. Uh, like like um like most people in that space. At least that's my that's my feeling. Um so originally um 
I have a background in, in economics, did a minor in computer science. It was kind of always a, let's say, weird mix between someone who understands business, but also someone who knows um, his way around code. And I started working for a dev tool startup called Code Intelligence. And I was basically responsible for sales and marketing. Okay. And back then, we weren't thinking about open source. We were just trying to sell our product um, top-down to engineering managers, CTOs, and those kind of personas. And then realized along the way, um, oh, we actually need to get the developers on our side. And to do that, we need to open source our core technology um, and start building a community. And since I was the only one kind of, um, yeah, I wasn't there kind of, I was responsible for sales and marketing. So it kind of got my responsibility to do that. Yeah. And that's how I kind of stumbled into, into the whole world of developer communities. Um, and then organized conferences, meetups, yeah. those kind of things. And yeah, really, really fell in love with the idea of building a community of developers around a company because I, saw like all the positive impact that this would start to have on all different kinds of areas in our in our company. And um yeah, but also kind of saw the the shortcomings that we tried to solve today because it was super hard to tie back the value of my work um or the, the work of our team um to um to the business. And um that's basically when I decided at some point that um yeah, I wanna I wanna um start a project in that in that space. I in the beginning I didn't know exactly what to do, but um I did consulting for about half a year, worked with a few other open source companies, and then um yeah, started more and more productizing the services and the kind of consulting that I did for for companies. And that's how CrowdDev got started about about two years now, two years ago now. Awesome. Uh, yeah. So it's just a, you. You kind of develop this organic domain competency, I guess. Um, and uh, this is a classic startup story, right? Where you you kind of you, you randomly develop a skill, and you're like, "Oh, wait a sec, right? I can I can actually scale this." Um, how, how how is how are things for startups these days? Was it was it easy or hard to get this idea funded? Did you have to prove that it could work, or was there understanding? From investors, um, I think so far we got really lucky. Um, yeah. So I mean, we raised two point two million dollars uh, in, in in pre-seed funding. Um, the investors that we work with, um, they understand the the space really well. I would say that said, my feeling is that U.S. investors definitely have a way better understanding for the whole open source and developer tool space. Mm-hmm. Than European investors do. So usually, you know, if I have a conversation with a with an American investor, you go like straight to the um to the really important points, like how how you're gonna differentiate, uh, how you're gonna do your go-to-market and those kind of things. And if I talk to the average European investor, the question is, like, why do you need a community? Like, is that is that even is that even a thing companies need? Uh, so <laughs> Wow. The understanding, the understanding is very different yeah. here in the U.S. That's interesting. Yeah, and did, did you in did you in the end then mostly get U.S. investors, or did you so, did you find European so, ones? So far, European ones. Um, okay. We have 
um, angels uh, from the US. Um, but yeah, okay. um, I think in the future um, we will definitely, definitely have to go to the to the US. Yeah, yeah. I know it's it's interesting because it, it does mirror my experience as well, right? Where, uh, you know, you, you, investors are, are, I guess, are more traditional. Um, are still asking the questions around okay but what's the total addressable market in this with this open source thing right they just it's just they just don't see it um you know whereas i think in, i think definitely with the uh, us guys it's uh, it's a lot more clear and as they say you just get straight to the you just get straight to the real questions it's assumed yeah. that there is that there is an actual market um yeah yeah we're always a little bit behind in europe unfortunately um yeah so on the subject of market and marketing and selling with this model, um, I know we had we had discussed a little bit previously, but you have been suggesting that uh, account-based marketing is the way to go. Um, and I've not heard anybody in this space talk about that before. So uh, I guess explain like I'm five. <laughs> what are you talking about? What, what is account-based marketing? Yeah, sure. Maybe let me start a little bit before because I think one of the big problems that DevRel has, especially in the current market environment, is that it can't prove if it's either making or saving money mm. for their organization. And if, if you think about business, I mean, that's the only two things that, that really matter, right? Like either also for products that you buy, like either you make more money through them or you save money through them. Exactly. And DevRel often fails to kind of deliver to deliver that proof. And since last year, I saw a lot of companies moving DevRel back to their marketing functions. And the DevRel teams that I that I know that were, were kind of attached to marketing before, they also usually had less layoffs than the DevRel teams that were, for example, reporting to the engineering organization. Uh, because there it was kind of more seen as a as a nice to have. While DevRel Team 3 contributing to marketing, um, yeah, usually can really prove the value, the value that they bring to the organization. That said, um, I think DevRel shouldn't be lead gen. Um, that's usually not a good idea because, yeah. Yeah. um, you shouldn't just, you know, I don't know, sell their or take the leads that you have in your community and, and give them to, Give them to your sales team and they reach out to the developers. I think that's that's a horrible idea. Um, but account-based marketing kind of solves that. And so what, what what's account-based marketing? Yeah, so what, what is that? What is that? It basically means that you that your marketing approach or your marketing strategy um follows the approach where you focus on accounts, so organizations rather than individuals. And what what that means in the in the developer context is that you as a DevRel can focus on the developer, building a relationship with the developer, making developers happy. And then your sales team, your marketing team can focus on the organization, on other stakeholders that are the potential economic buyer, the budget holder. And um, that's why I think DevRels should actually be the biggest advocates for account-based, account-based marketings. And um in that context, I even like to to kind of talk about the terminology of developer qualified leads. So right, kind of right. accounts 
that are qualified by the developer engagement that you got. So that's kind of a signal for your sales team, for example, to do warm outreach to the organization, not to the developer, right? but right. to okay. other stakeholders. That's the critical bit, isn't it? Yeah. It's the other Absolutely. stakeholders. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. But the developer in the organization is is a is a is a kind of key ally internally. Yeah. Right. They, you, you have to be very careful with that, right? I mean, you you shouldn't have someone like random from your organization reach out to your developer and be like, "Hey, you want to jump on a call and discuss this or that?" Um, no, maybe the developer can make you an introduction to someone, but maybe you can also just reach out through other channels. Um, to people in that organization. And I think that's what account-based marketing is all about. Okay. Okay. Yeah, this is interesting. So this mirrors my experience in the last company where, uh, you know, we, we had, uh, we had like a senior developer, not even a team lead at one of our conferences who turned out to work for the New York Times. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. Um, or, um, Condé Nast, actually, people like that. Right. And then, they introduced us to their managers. So it was account-based, it was account-based marketing, selling. Uh, again, we had no idea what we were, we were just a bunch of techies, right? A bunch of developers who didn't know what we were doing. But I know this works. Yeah, it does work. So, so in effect, you, I mean, this is what you would advise, right? This is the, this is the structure that you see working. Yes, absolutely. And I mean, obviously also something that I'm advocating for because I know that we can help with that. Right? Um, because we can help companies to understand, Hey, those are the developers that are engaging with us. Those are the companies that they work for. And those are the companies, um, that are not customers yet. So we kind of gotcha. put them on a list to to account-based marketing for it. And it doesn't even need to be outreach. It can also be a targeted ads campaign to those stakeholders, um, inviting them to an event, uh, whatever kind of marketing channels you, you use. Gotcha. Yeah. That's a much, that's a much, um, that's a much more structured logical model for what DevRel should be doing for a lot of companies. Um, yeah. Uh, you, so what is, what is the category that, that crowd.dev is in? Like what's the business category? Is, is it lead gen? I wouldn't know. I would, I wouldn't say so because I mean, that's, that's kind of the primary use case, but I mean, there's other ones, you know, you can still manage your community with our tool. Um, you can, we have product managers using our platform to understand feedback that they get from developers. Um, we have hiring managers using our platform to discover people in the community that they could reach out to for potential engineering positions. So. We have a lot of more use cases than, than just that. Um, but yeah. overall, uh, yeah, I mean, I have a hard time kind of putting us into, into a category. So I like to think of, of CrowdAdvisor as a developer data platform, pretty much like your verticalized customer data platform. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Do you, do you, um, do you help pure open source projects as well? Right. So ones that are, ones that are just community projects. Or do you focus yeah, also, on the? We also have uh, non-commercial open source projects. Um, yeah, for example, onboarded um, Apache SuperSat recently. Um, as I said before, we work with the Linux Foundation um, to basically deploy 
deploy CrowdDev within all projects of the Linux Foundation. That's an ongoing project. And there we also also have those. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So if I'm a developer advocate or developer advocate leader in my company, and I've been struggling to demonstrate value, and we're having this discussion around measurement and metrics. Um, and sometimes the organization has put me into marketing, and sometimes it's under the CTO, and sometimes I report directly to the CEO in my own little group. Um, but my company hasn't really taken on the concept of account-based marketing. How do I pitch that internally? How do I explain it internally? Do you, do you guys have resources that kind of walk you through this? A lot of comp a lot of these companies are founded by developers themselves, right? So they just don't have enough of a business background to really have these models in their head. Um, yeah, we we don't have a resource on it, not not yet. Actually, mm. something I'm working working on. Uh, cool. Okay. Um, maybe it already will be out once the the episode. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> great, great. We're <laughs> but, but, but overall, um, I would say in general, account based marketing is definitely kind of a hype term at the moment. So if you go talk to your CMO, um, they will know what account based marketing is and they will okay. probably also currently try to move into that direction. And otherwise, um, you can also start with very small steps. You know, you can, you can also prove value before your whole company that's account-based marketing just by, for example, doing proper attribution in your CRM by saying, hey, those kind of accounts, they actually were in our community active before they ever signed up and before the sales team reached out to those organizations. And by that, you know, when it comes down to their, when it comes to the annual meeting where um, leadership discusses, okay, who gets budget, um, you can go there and say, hey, 40% of the accounts um, that we close deals with, they were actually active in our communities and our DevRel team um, were kind of the first point of contact. Developer qualified so leads. That's, yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. That's fantastic. I think that's kind of a good first step, right? Like getting that attribution uh, correctly so you start having an understanding of um, where, like, when when is actually the community the work of developer uh, relations when is that actually the source we talk to a lot of people on this podcast across the developer relations space um i think this concept is still very new for a lot of people um i certainly help a lot of the struggles that <laughs> we we've discussed with others around measurement and, and around proven value um yeah, I'd certainly encourage you, Jonathan, if you, if you can put this, get this out on paper. I think it would help the community a lot. Yeah, I will, I will, uh, I will do a write up on it and, awesome. and share it with you. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, it makes a lot of sense to me. It fits in my personal experience. Um, but I didn't have a name for it. I didn't have a name for it. Um, did you do, uh, behavioral economics at all in your, when you were studying economics? Um, a little bit, actually. Yeah. yeah. I, I did behavioral economics and also, uh, experimental economics. Um, that was definitely an area, an area of interest for me. Does that inform the, the business strategies that you've adopted in crowd.dev? Does, does it help at all? It's hard to say, right? Um, 
Yeah, I mean, it's not like I learned the concept there, obviously, because yeah. um, university is usually like 10, 15 years behind. Um, but I guess what what I got from, from my studies was definitely a way of like thinking about um, how are people incentivized, um, how do people make decisions and those kind of things. And their behavioral economics is definitely a definitely interesting field. Yeah, I, I I would say maybe it's tacit knowledge. Maybe it's not even conscious for you. But I, I think just talking to you now in terms of the way that you've structured the business and thought about how to how to, how to demonstrate value, uh, it just it just occurs to me it, it's it's a deeper deeper type of thinking than just oh here's here's a bunch of metrics and that proves that I'm valuable. Yeah, um, I mean I, I wrote my thesis about the failure of software market and why. Security is the credence good. That was like the title of my of my thesis, and basically, oh, okay. I, an, I analyzed why, like, why do we have security issues in software, like from yeah. a kind of behavioral economics point of view? And the reason for that is quite interesting because actually, you could think about software as kind of the same kind of class of good as a used car. You know, if you have a used oh, yeah. car. If you, the moment you buy a car, it loses like what 30% in value. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is that other people cannot observe the value um, of that car because it's not clear if the if there's like something broken in the car or something like that. So people in general have like a, a lower willingness to pay for it because they don't know if everything is okay with the car. And same goes actually for software security, because from the outside, at least for proprietary software, you cannot observe how good the security is of the product. So you actually don't have willingness to pay for it because you always kind of assume as an economic buyer, okay, security is going to be bad because I cannot observe it. So I don't have willingness to pay for it. And since there's no willingness to pay for it, companies don't have enough budget for it and don't invest into it. Um, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And in a way, I suppose you could say you're, you are increasing the observable value of your your clients products and software and not not possibly not specifically about security but just in general yeah yeah probably i never thought about it that way but but yeah probably i i went uh full circle there <laughs> awesome okay well that's that's wonderful we we've uh we've suitably nerded ourselves out now on uh, phd and uh <laughs> theses and all that sort of stuff Awesome stuff. Jonathan, thank you so much. This has been uh, super interesting. Account-based marketing, that is uh, one for me to go up and do some reading on for sure myself. Um, Thank you so much. Awesome. Really enjoyed our conversation. And yes, thanks for for having me. Awesome. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. You can find the transcript of this podcast and any links mentioned on our podcast page at voxgeek.com slash podcast. Subscribe for weekly editions where we talk to the people who make the developer community work. For even more, read our newsletter. You can subscribe at voxgeek.com slash newsletter or follow our Twitter at voxgeek. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.